Hi and welcome to The Cloud Show. My name's Jez Back and with me is not my trusted co-host David Organ because he strained a fetlock this week. So instead I have Ernesto the Insono Bear. Well, there we go. So in this show, what we're going to do is take a look at what's hot around the world of cloud technology and also have a look at what's hot in the news. But before we go into that, I would like to go and join uh, and get us to meet some venerable guests. Here on my left, we've got David Newbold. Hi, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. Excellent. And David, so you are from Tech Data, mm -hmm. uh, and let me get this right, you are the Director of Cloud Strategy, Marketing and Enablement. That's correct, Can yes. You, go on, give us a clue. What does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? Um, broadly speaking, it means that I work in the center of the organization, so uh, in terms of the region in Europe, and I'm roughly overseeing our sales and marketing execution across the region. Cool, yeah. brilliant, thank you very much. And onto my right, we have Simon Ratcliffe, he's from Insono, uh, and you are the Director of Technology and Strategy. Is this correct, or have I got that completely wrong? You got that completely That's wrong. That's not what it says on your, on, your, uh, on your signature block, anyway. Oh, yes, uh, it does. No, I'm a, I'm, I'm a Principal Consultant ah. in Consulting and Advisory. Okay, interesting. Your signature means, block is different, we have to change that. <laughs> which means that uh, I work with our clients to set cloud strategies and execute on them. And then we pass them back as Insono are a managed service provider. So we try and pass them back into managed service for people like Ernesto to actually go out there and operate them for our clients. Brilliant. Well, unfortunately, Ernesto doesn't speak very much. I tried to get him to read the news this week, but he said no. So it has to be for me to read the news this week. Uh, and the first one we're going to go to actually goes back to one of the predictions that we talked about in one of the previous shows about Alibaba's rise into EMEA. So it seems I've got one right. Uh, it's launched this AI and big data cloud platform uh, products in Europe in order to compete with the likes of Alphabet, Amazon, and Microsoft. Yeming Wang, the general manager of Alibaba Cloud Europe, was speaking just before the Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. Uh, and he admitted that whilst the European cloud business was still like a baby, he was also quite excited about the prospects of the market uh, as most companies look to digitize. So what do you think then, David? You know, Alibaba's going for, for the European market as well as Asia-Pac. What's your view? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I think um, you might, knowing Alibaba for, for, for where they've come from and who they are, you might be surprised at this, at this. But actually, I think what's surprising is that it's not surprising because you look at the competition they're going after, namely Amazon and, and co. And you think of the origins of those companies and you think, well, you wouldn't have thought about buying uh, you know, buying your groceries from a book sh bookstore, right? But that's yeah. that's happened, and then consequently, you wouldn't think about powering your multinational's infrastructure from your grocery provider. But that's happening, and so Alibaba moving into AI and big data, bringing it across to Europe is uh, is is for me uh, not a surprising move. But it will be interesting to see how they land and see how the market reacts yeah. to them. I think was you know the, the big thing when people say, oh well. You know, Alibaba, Amazon, they're not really in our market. We don't have to be worried about them. You know, I, I'm, I disagree. You, know, you yeah. look at you know, autonomous vehicles, artificial intelligence, all the things that they're, you know, both those organizations are looking at. You know, they're going after major other markets and, and really disrupting them in. Simon, what's your view on it? I think it's, it's much the same. It isn't a surprise. They've all got money. They're all investing smartly in what they're doing. So they will keep doing that. And it is, we should not be surprised by the next thing they do. They're always going to keep looking out there. They're going to try and expand and build on the platforms they've got. They have the power, they have the compute power to be able to say, let's try something different. Let's actually have an explore and see what's out there. Yeah, I think one of the really interesting things about Alibaba, I think, is no one really knows them in Europe. Mm. No one really knows what they can do and the, the, and the depth 
and capabilities that they actually bring. And, and I think people will underestimate them and they will burst on the market and there will be a huge surprise for a number of people. Yeah, I think that when you look at something, well, cloud, what it does allow for is a, is a lack of loyalty, right? <laughs> you can be fickle in cloud because, you know, your brand and your history and your heritage counts less when, when you're delivering a service than the actual service delivery itself and the, the, the you know, the SLA or whatever measurement you're, you're using. So then being an unknown brand to some people, um, I think if they can prove themselves that they can deliver the service and provide a good customer experience, which is also obviously critical, I don't see why they wouldn't be successful here. Mm. I think there is that emotional attachment to cloud though, isn't it? You, I see a lot of people when they make the decision, it's I want to go AWS or I want to go Google. And when you ask why, it's because of the brand loyalty to it. A lot of people will look at Alibaba and go, actually, it's new, therefore it must be good. And I'm going to actually going to try it for that reason. And that will get them some traction for that for that reason alone. Yeah, and, and your, your point about brand loyalty is really interesting because that, that's the thing I've noticed. Um, and I've, I've, I've referred to the, the, the physical and the emotional lock-in. Yeah. You know, whereas before, you know, way back in the 90s, 2000s, where contracts were written, you were physically locked in. Now, there's the real driver is emotional lock-in, and that's a lot more powerful mm, than, yeah. than any, any form of highly written, highly conv you know, convoluted contract that's written by a bunch of lawyers. So, yeah. I think that's a really well-made point. But it's also, you can't, you can't actually, in, in many respects, make a rational decision based on functionality between Azure, AWS, Alibaba, Google, because a lot of them, they all do the same, in maybe in slightly different ways, or some people might be stronger at one and, and maybe not the other. Either you end up with the best of breed, so you end up with what will now be all four of the major cloud players, plus probably some private cloud, or actually you say, well, I'm just going to go all in with one of the public cloud providers. People are doing that, but they are doing that emotionally. No, absolutely. Well, talking of Google, let, let's just move on to the other subjects. So I, I've broken, uh, I've, I've avoided the GDPR conversation for a while, but this is not really GDPR. This is actually about what's going on with Google at the moment. Um, as it comes closer to its inception you know, for, for GDPR, um, that I read an interesting story that, that Google has received over 2.4 million takedown requests uh, in Europe alone. And this comes from their transparency report, which was published quite recently. And they, they reckon that Google have complied with about 43% of them. So yeah, that means that they've done less than half and we're now weeks slash barely months mm. away from the inception of GDPR and fines and all the you know, Armageddon's coming. I mean, there's this for me. I think the, the, the real bit for me on this story is whilst about a third of those takedowns you know, were, were pertaining to individuals, you know, who wanted like personal information like directory or social media embarrassments you know, removed from the web. Mm. Yeah, th there is actually a small group of people who, who have formed as reputation fixers and they're going out there and doing it. So I think there's going to be a lot more aggressive sort of legalese ways about it. And it's much more about the behavior that I, I, I was interested in rather than the GDPR aspect of it. It's people wanting to be taken down. And now the challenge for not just the cloud service providers, but also for technology companies in general to be able to meet that demand in quickly. I mean, what, what, what's your take? The reputation fixes have always been out there. It's always been possible to go out and have your reputation cleansed if it was bad enough in the first place. So, so that market isn't new. Pe people have been doing it. I think what the accelerant will be now is actually there's potentially revenue to be had if people don't comply with it. I think you know people are seeing this as an opportunity to make some money by saying, actually, I'm, I'm going to make everybody take it down, and if they don't, I'm going to 
go after them and try and get some money back. I think that's a, a red herring. I don't think it will work like that particularly well, but you can see that mentality coming in. So I suspect what's happened is the people who already did it have just accelerated the pattern of behaviour to try and get some traction in the market, to try and get the idea out there into people's heads that they can do this a little bit more than they could before. I think previously reputation fixing was for the, the rich and the famous, if you like. Yeah. Now it's for the common man. Well, I mean, but that's the interesting point, is it? Because now you have the, the, the stories of you know, the millennials struggling to get some work because of their social media profiles and that sort of thing. I, I do think there is going to be a bit of a business around reputation fixing on social media for people who want to, you know, who've realised that the days of partying and the rest of it and then telling the world about it on social media are very much over and then they need a bit of cleansing. Mm. You know, I, mean, I know Ernesto doesn't need to worry about that, but you know, there, there are other people that do. Yes, yeah, he looks at me. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, so, what do you think, Dave? <laughs> well, I agree that there will be will be new new repetition fixes coming in. I think when you have legislative support for something, you will you will spawn opportunity and look at PPI, right, and all the all the all the claims and the companies that spun up to, to handle that that particular case. I think the interesting thing about GDPR and the, and, and Google's takedown requests is, for me, that what this shows is that the the, the consumer and the and the, the man on the street is more aware now of their rights for the privacy, right? The, the, the fact that GDPR is forcing organizations to advertise to their data subjects about double opt-in and, and all the measures that they've got to take tells the person on that end, okay, I've got rights here, I need to be careful. Maybe they weren't aware about you know, what data was being stored on them. So there's a general education going on there and I think that's yeah. positive and that hopefully will maybe change behaviors in the future when people you know, are giving away the privacy or handling the data online. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so I'm going to park that there because let's get on to the main meat of the subject. So, you know, what is the future for IT organisations in the cloud-first world? So, I don't think anyone could argue that technology in IT hasn't evolved rapidly over the last few years, 10 years, 15, 20 years. The shift to cloud, the associated concepts such as DevOps, Agile, you know, they've all sparked a revolution in the way how it operates. Traditional roles, they've been called into question you know, they've either been redefined or people's roles have completely gone and they've been replaced with other ones. You know, new skill sets being demanded and whilst the function of IT has moved on, it's being forced to reconsider about its place within the business. So I would say that CIOs are navigating in, in pretty uncharted seas at the moment, dealing with rapidly evolving technologies that offer pretty enormous opportunities for the business, you know, getting coached quite heavily by their fellow board members you know, about the way how to run his business, but he's in a limited position to do it himself. You know, CIO, CEOs going off and foremost forming their own rogue IT organizations because they feel that the CIO can't meet the challenges because the way how the IT department has performed in the past for either reasons of good or bad uh, that the CIO's performances have to do with it. So the bar for accessibility to use these new technologies, especially in things like cloud, has absolutely come down. People who weren't normally a tech first person, now are able to start de designing and building and developing their own apps to go and do their own workloads inside the business. And they're moving away from the IT organization. It causes problems. So what does this mean? Should CIOs retain their own small core of functionality and essentially take down their organization and put it into the business? Should they basically outsource everything uh, and just retain a small group? Or should they actually look at transforming the IT organization into a new world in order to meet the demand? Mm. Or is it time for something completely different? Come on, let's start with you, Simon. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's get your view. So, you know, here we are. CIOs have got a, a really unenviable challenge. 
you've got CEOs who are coaching them and CFOs and COOs coaching them about how to do their job. The IT department historically has not met their expectation. And now we've got people setting up their rogue IT organisations inside business units. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think shadow IT now no longer just means the technology that's there. I think it, adds, it does actually mean the people and the functionality. But the key to me here is actually this isn't about IT. <laughs> organisations in general are all changing. So the whole structure of the way a lot of organisations work is becoming a lot more flexible, a lot less hierarchical, a lot, a lot less that CXO looks after that X bit. Uh, and everybody's starting to cross over into other areas and you're starting to get a more empowered business in, in a lot more successful businesses they're becoming more agile they're becoming more empowered and that does mean they're empowered to make other decisions and that also means IT decisions yeah. so it, it's becoming almost like instead of having one big depart one big business with lots of departments what you're getting is a big organization with lots of small businesses sitting inside it and they look after their own marketing their own finance their own IT so it's not just IT, this is, is, is having a hit on. I think it's more noticeable in IT because IT has always been that wonderful central function. It's also oddly, and I'd say this as a CIO advisor, <laughs> it's been the one that actually has resisted the, the, the notion of outside advisory. I, I've always argued the CEO has the non-execs, the finance director, the um, CFO has auditors, CMO has agents. All the other departments have external advisors and IT's always gone, that's a sign of weakness. I, yeah. don't need, I don't need another IT consultant through the door. I know everything. And that's a bit I think can change. That way they are less likely to get coached perhaps maybe aggressively or negatively by some of the other board members and they can actually start to take that sounding board outside and become the people who, who generate the ideas. Yeah, and I, that's one of the C changes. I agree because actually it's more than just a CIA because when you go down the stack, I, mean, I'm, I remember I was working with a client and I was sitting with the solution architect and he was a really knowledgeable guy. His skills were top-notch you know he was completely up to date really really good and I said when's the last time you went for a cup of coffee with someone in the business I said, why do I need to do that so well, I might find out what their problems are mm. you know and then you might be able to go and bring that vast knowledge that talent and make it much more powerful I think that that's one of the biggest challenges that technologists you know the pure techies you know the people who they call nerds and geeks out there you know Actually, one of the biggest challenges they've got is presenting themselves not just in their technical expertise, but actually now they they need to get business savvy. Yes. Yeah, and Absolutely. that's not just at the CIO level. I think that's got to go down the stack. I, I completely agree. Yeah. Dave, yeah, what I do think you think? Addressing an age-old issue there around connecting IT and the business, which uh, is, is is still there. I think it's interesting to cover the question. I think um, transformation is a given in the IT department. Uh, however, I think we're going to see. A, a great variance depending on who the end customer is, right? If you're a, a business that's of a, of a size where you need a CIO and you need a bigger, you know, proper IT department, uh, you're going to have different um, challenges to the to the small business and you know smaller micro businesses, right? Um, I think we have to remember is if you have infrastructure that is there to to manage, um, you you are going to still need the CIOs there. You're going to still need that expertise, and you're going to still need. Um, you know all of the governance that that that, that, that um, brings with it. I think when you have uh, other parts of the business making decisions on IT spend, that's possible. I think there's nothing wrong with that. However, only when it's limited to business applications, right? You can have a CEO who uses something on his iPad at home and thinks it's brilliant. It's going to work in my business, and that's fine if it's a business app. Gets it cleared through IT and fine. But when you're talking real infrastructure, um, got I think got to be careful and cautious and. We, 
know, we talk about hybrid cloud a lot, and, and for us, that's that's where the future is. Yeah, it's the, again, that's another interesting bit. People talk about serverless and containers and things like that today. You know, I, I kind of look into my crystal ball and look ahead and go, well, actually, the next step is codeless and edge. And so when I talk about codeless, I mean exactly the same way as serverless. There is still servers. There is still metal and things that are underneath it. But it's such a commoditized service that people who are not tech savvy are able to be coding their, uh, their almost own throwaway apps hmm. where they, run a, they want to run a particular workload for that particular time of the year. They build it, they consume it, they dispose of it. Hmm. And they can do it really quickly with a, a codeless, um, you know, if you could pardon that expression, sort of mentality. And I, I think that that, you know, the, that that type of buyer, that cloud buyer, is being recognized by the big providers, right? So people like Amazon and Google and you know, Microsoft, IBM, all of these people have latched onto this because if you notice, they're not, they're not putting huge amounts of marketing effort into the, the IT organization, the techies. They're talking a lot to the business. They realize that's where people are out buying this stuff. Yeah. So I think that's kind of the next step. But there, there is a danger in that because I think you do need to come back to the notion there needs to be a set of, uh, let's call them guiding principles in the middle that are owned by notionally the CIO, I guess, yeah. that says, okay, you can actually do what you want, but it needs to be secure, it needs to be governance, it needs to be compliant. And I've, I've come across many organizations, I did some work in an organization recently where I went around all the applications of the different business departments, and thought it was absolutely fantastic, they all did exactly what they wanted them to. What really concerned me was nobody actually knew where any of the data was. Yeah. Yeah. And when you asked the people, and the one that did amuse me was asking the uh, the head of the legal department where, where all the legal contract data was, and she just looked at me and went, I don't actually know. And that's quite disturbing. Yeah, it's worrying. And we found it. It was safe. It was secure. It was in the right place. We didn't have any um, legislative issues with where it was, but the fact that nobody had asked the question in the first place, and also the IT didn't, department didn't know the application existed. It's simple building blocks like that need to be put in place, but you need to do it in such a way because... Again, IT still had this, or still to a degree, has this reputation as the stopper. They're the department who mm. say no. Yeah. They need to transform, and actually the department who says yes, this way. Yeah, this interesting, this conversation we had last week about ecosystems, and we talked about the CIO and the CTO now having to be the coach, not the cop. They, yes. you know, they really need to go out to the business, establish those relationships. And I, mean, I, I kind of have a view that says, actually, it's okay. Let the businesses go out and build this stuff. But let us coach you to make sure that you're doing it within all the, the business governance and regulatory and compliance things that you're not going to expose the people who pay your mortgage to risk. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and that, that's, a, that's a different conversation of, no, now what's the question? Yes. Yeah, a very different world. Yeah. I think yeah. When, you, when you talk about building things as well, it's, it's interesting to carry something you said earlier forward. You know, historically, we've always had a set of requirements, something the business needs to do, and we've gone out and we've found an app that does most of it, right? Mm -hmm. oh, we need to do this, this, and this. Oh, well, that package does it. Let's, let's use that. Whereas I think with, you know, cordless serverless computing and, 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 the, and the, as we go forward in time, technology gradually becoming more simple uh, from the complexity it was, now I think you'll, you'll have more of the situation where the business has a set of requirements and the IT department does build a bespoke application for them, right? That's gonna become easier and easier to do. I don't even think the IT department do it. I think you'll actually have business analysts who are doing it themselves. Well, that's the great debate, I would say, yeah. yeah. Okay. I, 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 I see it all the time, in, you know, especially a lot of FinTech organizations you know, and you know, financial services organizations 
I'm seeing them. Oh, they're they, doing it. They, they do, but they, they mm. then come back to have the issue of governance. Yeah. In yeah. That some, somebody in a department will write it. You can bet your life, though, they don't document it. They, half the time, you can't find the source code. So actually, you do have something that's functional until you try and come to do something with it. Yeah. Mm. And if you don't have that layer of governance, you need a paddle. Yeah, I, I, there's no debate there. And I think that's always going to be the, the perennial challenge around this conversation, which is, it's great. You know, the CIO could disband the entire IT organisation except for a very small core. You know, retaining his CTO, a couple of enterprise architects, security guys, data architect, you know, a few core people who are there to not enforce but to ensure that the standards are understood by the business and it, you know, it, it matrixed is, out. It's setting that level of architecture. It, it's like building a house. You have architectural standards you need to abide by, but you can put the bricks together in any order you want and people build their own houses. Or indeed whatever bricks you want to use. Indeed. Yeah. But they have to go up in a particular way and they have to they have to conform, if you like, to external regulation. Yeah. yeah. And that mindset just doesn't I just don't think exists at the moment. And I think that's the real transformational tipping point that, that will come. It is, and that, that gives you a different shape of CIO. So yeah. that they're, they're no longer that actually they don't need the technology background anymore they 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 need that that level of governance you you are, good program managers are becoming good CIOs now yeah because they're looking at it differently they're looking at it from a how do you look after this how do you create the framework perspective well I think that's been part of the cultural challenge because you had CIOs who've been brought up on mainframes Windows XP and single-use applications where everything was architected beautifully and it looked beautiful and it worked beautifully for the thing that it did now they live in this highly what appears to be chaotic, expanding, contracting, moving beast, and it's really uncomfortable. Yeah, you know, for people who are you know, engineers by trade, they, they don't like chaos. <laughs> a funny old thing, <laughs> uh, but program managers are a bit more used to yes. being comfortable with chaos. So, so uh, that's a really interesting dynamic. Mm. But let's just move on. So, so everyone loves a really good story around this sort of thing. You know, through your experience advising CIOs, you know, what what transformation stories have you seen where? CIOs are really, have managed to get to grips on this. I think, I mean, w one of the best examples is, is a CIO who thought they got a grip on it and they actually decided to go out there and they moved their business to AWS. Framewave actually worked. If you look at it logically, it was one of those emotional decisions that I was talking about earlier. They, they, there was probably not a technical reason to go to AWS anymore. There was a technical reason when they decided to add Azure into the mix later on because that looked quite interesting. And then Google. And then they found some on-premise stuff and then he puts them in a private cloud. And what they ended up with was total chaos that actually most people didn't want to look at because what they'd done is they tried to progress. But what a lot of people do when they try to progress and they make those mistakes, and we all talk these days about the ability to make mistakes is a positive thing. Actually, it's only a positive thing if you know how to retrench from that mistake afterwards. <laughs> and they got themselves to a point where actually they just didn't know how to get out of it. Yeah. So. We, we went and helped to say, okay, let's actually just step back. And it sounds like a really traditional approach, but let's go back and work out what the business actually needs. Because what they were doing was they were building technology for technology's sake. And that's where it went horribly wrong. And unfortunately, I think a lot of the CIOs are sitting out there going, is, there's lots and lots of new technology. We need to be exciting. We need to try and engage. We need to try and show the business the way to go. And the phrase I use for them is it's like, well, when you don't know where you're going, any road will do. Yeah, you actually do need to know where you're going. That's really, really important. And it was about or if you don't, stepping back. have a number of little trials to work out where you want to go. But don't take those trials live. Yeah, that's that's part of the problem. Is having that ability to come back. So that really was just about connecting the CIO. Going back to your point about bringing them back to the business. 
mm. and actually getting them to connect back to it as opposed to just taking off and getting all excited about it. Mm. Well, I have a similar story, one with a very different um, uh, outcome. It's a cautionary tale, and actually it's to do with AWS as well. And this is one where uh, um, the CIO wasn't running at the same pace as one of his, his team. And you know, a member of the IT department had uh, wanted to progress infrastructure, wanted to move to cloud, saw the benefits, saw the, you know, a, a way to be more efficient in the organization. Couldn't get budget sign off, couldn't really get buy-in, but wasn't prevented from actually spinning up what he needed to do. You see this all the time with any enterprise, you'll see many, many instances of credit card, right, I'll just spin this up and it'll be fine in the organization and it, and it works. That employee then, having built his solution which was running in, in anger, left the company, not on amicable terms. Um, infrastructure went down. I guess he stopped paying for it, or I'm not sure, but when the CIO called AWS to say, um, we, we need this back, this is mission critical, and, and it gets down, the vendor quite rightly said, I'm sorry, I don't know who I'm talking to. You're not the customer here. The customer is the guy who's attached to this credit card. And so if you don't have that governance and, yeah. governance and control within your organization, you could end up in, an in a similar position where you as the, as the, you know, the, the IT consumer, Made a fundamental error there. Yeah, that, that, that's that's kind of the modern day version of the, the guy who coded an app on NT4, and it's sitting under the desk in the an IT department somewhere with a big sticker on it saying "Don't switch off." <laughs> you know, it's the kind of the same, it's the modern day equivalent, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I've, I've been. I actually I remember going to a client, and there was literally there was a box sitting there saying "Do not switch off," and that's because the guy who'd been with the company for thirty years had grown and built organically this this app for the business and no one knew how to run it except mm. for him. It was yeah. absolutely proprietary to this guy. Guy retired, couldn't be patched, mm. couldn't be fed and watered, no one knew what to do with it, no one would even dare turn off in case, what, what would it do to the business because no one even knew how it worked or indeed who it served. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. So okay, so final word, what's your final word? You know, where do you think the future of IT Alt is going? I think, I think one of the most effective approaches that a lot of people can take is to say, okay, I have an IT team sitting there. What I'm going to do is I'm going to build a new one. And that doesn't preclude people moving from one to the other, but I'm going to build a new one that's based in the same model. And I'm going to actually try and steal business from the old one. And when the new one, which will be in a different shape, it'll be more embedded in the business, it'll have a different kind of person. It don't have to be different people, just pick different people thinking in a different way. Once they've leached all of that old business out, then I think there's a success to be had there. David, I think um, yeah, I mean I agree, but I, I think also uh, the future of organisations. You know, th th I think the success or the the degree of success for a business will hinge on how well they can adopt new technology like cloud, and in some cases that would be success or failure for a business, right? Um, and I think uh, those those companies that are brave enough to change and embrace new ways of working, new models will will be the most successful and. You know, to tie back the point before about Alibaba and Amazon, those guys are successful because they're extremely adept with technology and they're not, they're not afraid to go and move into somewhere completely new. And I think everybody can now take that mindset and that approach in business because what was previously complex is becoming increasingly simple and would continue to be simplified as well. Um, so, yeah, we've got to just uh, go for it, I would say, and not be afraid to change. <laughs> yeah, not be afraid to change. Well, I think that kind of wraps it up there. A couple of things out of that that really stuck out for me. Firstly, the challenge for CIOs is enormous and trying to work out a new ways for their IT organizations to support the business and also satisfy the business needs will be a continuing challenge. 
The idea about moving across and building a new IT organization and letting one wither and die on the vine, really interesting as a way to go forward. The way in which CIOs can also manage the business and manage the way how those things are working and innovation is gonna be a real, real challenge going forward as well. But what do you think? We'd love to hear you. What are your thoughts? Please get in touch with us on Twitter. Our hashtag is The Cloud Show. Uh, we would love to hear from you. And I'm sure we'll be tweeting live uh, as well. That'd be good. So if you guys would like to uh, also get involved, please do get in touch. And I'd like to thank you, Simon, for being on, as well as Ernesto the Bear. And you, David, thank you very much. And thank you to you for watching, if indeed you still are.